James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, (laughs) do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostile with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, my brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law, but a judge. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and only one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? (laughs) Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for your word. We know that your word is here for us to read us and to expose what is inside of us that needs to be uh, cleansed, that needs to be come under to submission unto you, Lord God. So we just thank you for that, Lord. We pray, God, for everyone in this room. Maybe they're here. Maybe they're going through trauma. Maybe they're going through suffering. Maybe they have family members going through sickness and all these things. I, I just pray for your mighty hand to move. Be swift to heal. Be swift to bring salvation in their homes, God. Lord, that when everyone leaves this room, we would be all collectively be able to say with one voice, look how glorious Christ the King is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor James didn't get the memo about seeker-friendly churches. Uh, That's a joke. Uh, That's not a joke, actually. Uh, It would just appear that at the outset of this text, it seems like this dude is just like hammering in like some really... Uh, a lot of things that the church, because the context is he's writing to a church, and so it appears that James is like, all right, we're, we're going to put on our big boy girl britches, and we're going to talk to each other like we're adults up in this room. And there's some of you that's been quarreling, and there's some of you who's gotten fights, and you're, you're nagging at each other, but let's, let's put the finger on the pinpoint of the pain and the issue and talk about what it is. And that's what James does. So what is a quarrel? You know, when you read this, you're like, man, this sounds like old English language. Like, what is a quarrel? A quarrel is just an argument and typically over trivial 
things. What is a quarrel? An argument, something that somebody is fighting over, over something that seems trivial. Sometimes arguments are trivial, and then other times there are quarrels that are legitimate. And if you've been married for quite some time, you, you, you would agree to that statement. Amen? You shouldn't say amen to that. What's wrong with you people? The, types of, the type of quarrels that James is alluding to and talking about isn't necessarily this external issue, but what is he talking about? The war inside of your own heart. So if you thought that you were going to escape this passage, you know, free of being, um, uh, free of, of a pastor calling you out, then, then you've, you've been mistaken. James, is in essence, is saying that the quarrels that are among you, they're happening because there's something inside of you that's not right. There is something that's going on inside of the heart of men and women that is causing all of the chaos around us. Now, you know, it would, it would appear that people all over the world would do some good if, if they heard that one statement and if they heard that one phrase, you see quarreling, you see fighting in the Middle East, in East Russia, in East uh, Europe, whatever that continent's name is. You see quarrels in our own country. And the thing that you have to present to yourself is, is there a war inside of me that's causing the chaos? Now, maybe perhaps not on a national scale or global scale. But on a day-to-day scale, on the, on the scale into your family and your marriages and your relationships with your coworkers, and when there's quarreling, you have to ask the question, what's inside of me that is causing this? Now, I know that comes as a, as a kick in the shin to most of us because most of us would, 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 would say, <laughs> I didn't cause this. I didn't cause this struggle. Now, now, granted, there are those cases where I have been a part of where there are the few people that are 100% clean in a situation. But those cases are anomalies. And for the most part, you have to look at yourself and say, what is the war that is inside of me that is causing all of this distress? Let me unfold this. We're going to tease us out in a couple of ways, uh, if, if, I, if I can. Hopefully, this will all draw itself to a quick end, because by the time I get to the end, some of you will be thanking God that we are at the end of this particular passage. Let me unfold this in two particular ways. Life tends to unfold itself or, or grow into two types of areas. And these are opposing ideas, opposing areas. People, the first area is that people would grow in their life by the grace of God with an understanding and an awareness of the goodness of God that is inside of them and outside of them. In other words, you will grow in your life either in this sense that things that you have, a good marriage that you have, um, Wealth that you may incur, a good job that you may have, a good kids that you may have, or 
you know, on and on and on, and, and you'll view them as things that you didn't necessarily deserve, but you view them as if it is a common gift from the Lord. Now, that's my prayer for myself, and that's my prayer for all of us, that the things that God allows us, right, big key word right there, allows us to have, that's known as his common grace, we view those strictly through the lens of, I didn't deserve this, but by his common grace, he allowed me to have it. He allowed me to have the nice home I have. By his grace, he allowed me to have the good marriage that I have. And out of that will result in a heart and a life of gratitude. The life of gratitude that is always looking at everything good that is happening around you has been a gift from the Lord. There's a heart of gratitude. That is a person who is far more mature than I am right now. Now, now, on the opposite end of this, there are other people who will view things on the opposite end of this spectrum. That instead of us viewing it money, the things I have, the marriage, the, the marriage I have, uh, the kids I have, the, the good job I have, uh, the cars, all the trinkets that I have. Instead of us viewing that as a common gift from God, we view that as if we were owed it by God. And if you view things like that, your heart will grow in entitlement and contempt to the Lord. Why? Because the moment that you are not granted the thing that you think you deserve, and it doesn't come your way, you, you grow contempt towards people around you. And then out of that contempt towards people around you, you go straight to God. And you go to God and you say to God, how dare you? I deserve this. I deserve that raise. I deserved uh, the house. And, and, then, and then what happens out of that overflow of entitlement and contempt towards the Lord, like when other people begin to like having the rains of blessings from the Lord above, you're contempt about those blessings. That person didn't deserve that. I deserved it. That's mine. That should have been mine. So we have two different audiences, and you have to identify within your own heart, who am I? Do I view the good things that I have around me as common grace, as a gift from the Lord, or do I view it through the lens of, he don't, he's in my debt, I deserved it, and that's the only reason why I got that. So we've got two different audiences here, and we have the audience that is a heart filled with gratitude and the one who is entitled into thinks that they deserve everything that they got. This is just by side note and by way of passing. And, and, and I say this and I'll get out of the way so you could throw something at me and then I'll come back and then we'll all hug and I won't kiss you, but we'll hug and shake hands. You, what, have you ever thought about what you really deserve? You were alienated, 
hostile towards God. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your sins. What did you deserve? <laughs> and then we got, we got this sense in our society thinking that I'm owed these things, I deserve these things, and yet it is clear through the text of the Bible, the only thing that you deserve is the wrath of God because of the sin nature you have. Now, I know some of you are thinking like, oh, ease, I'm going to throw something at you now. But, well, here's the good news in all of that. That gives us a clearer view of, of the reality of the goodness of God. That he didn't give us what we deserve. And so now, so now I have this inside of me, a heart filled with gratitude. I deserve the penalty of death. I deserve to be on the cross. Jesus took my place. I should have been nailed to the tree. I should have been crucified. I should have absorbed the wrath of God. Because that is inherently what we deserve in our sins. But now I view things a little differently. I don't deserve anything that I have. I am now having a heart of gratitude because of what Christ has done for me. Again, this is good news. And by the way, it is the gospel of Jesus. Now, back to the question, what causes quarrels within you? He answers this question. I'll get back to those two ideas in just a moment. Ungodly desires, ungodly desires and coveting. Wanting things that are other people's. Again, this concept of idea of wanting things that you think you deserve. That's what is causing this war inside of all of us. Now look at this next verse when he talks about you idolatrous people. He's not, he didn't say idolatrous people. He says adulterous. Here's, here's a simple definition of adultery. You a cheating liar. Right? When you hear about so-and-so and, you know, and, and that person cheated on so-and-so spouse, the first thing that comes out of my mind is they just a cheating liar. And I'll tell you what, and this is what I be telling folks all the time, I don't like a liar. And I'll be telling them straight up, all liars go to jail. Y'all thought I was going to say something else, but that's really the place I was talking about. It's just the eternal jail. That's what adulterous people is in this. You are a promise breaker. Like we are promise breakers when it comes to the promises we've made God. In fact, if we're all honest, some of us have made promises to God that we really have no business making to God. And so we can't keep these promises. And now it turns us into these idolatrous people who are liars and cheaters, promise breakers. It's as if we could try to trick him for a second. And so we see here, you idolatrous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, here's where I would put all this back together again if I can. To where gladness, to, to, where, to when you are lacking gratitude 
when you are lacking the heart of gladness, and instead, when you are walking in this type of entitlement, I deserve this, this sense of uh, contempt toward those around you, and then that finally turns itself to contempt to the holy God. What the play is this. If God won't give me what I deserve, then I'll take it upon myself to get it. And I will push anybody out of the way to get what I think I deserve, right? I mean, like, just think about this and just from a, from a per perspective of like a day-to-day -day life, like you're waiting on the Lord, waiting on God to do something, and then suddenly like this contempt grows into your heart and you begin not to trust the Lord, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands because God is not moving in the time that I think he ought to be moving. And, and, then, and, then so, and so how does that work out for you? Honey, boo-boo, that doesn't work out for anybody in the Bible. And don't you think for one second you are better than anybody in that Bible? I mean, you just, I just, I, I just comes to mind the story of Abraham waiting on the promise of Isaac. Well, I'll just take matters into my own hands. My wife is good as dead because she's so dang old. I think I'll just go with the concubine and get a, and get a child. And God goes, well, I didn't tell you to do this. You, you are taking matters into your own hand. What, what is happening in the heart of Abraham happens in the heart of all of us. Then in our waiting, we grow contempt towards a holy God and think that our way is better. We deserve better than waiting because we are entitled people. Now, this idea of friendship so because of this contempt towards the Lord, you know, I'm not getting what I think I deserve. I'm not, you know, God's not moving on, on, on my time. Then, you know what, this is kind of funny, but this is what's happening. Then I'm not going to be his friend anymore. Isn't that what James just said? Well, I'm not. I'm going to take my toys and run. And I'm going to be friends. That Because I'm not going to be friends with God, who are you going to be friends with? The way of the world. The people who are hostile towards God. Now, some of us ain't got no clue what a friend really is because we live in a crazy generation. Some of you think that, you know, like, the, and the concept of friendship in the Bible just, man, we've really got to get back to that idea of friendship as in the way it was in ancient Israel and in these ancient times. You know, friendships today, like, you can go on, like, open up Instagram or social media, and, and, and what would have been thought of 15 years and would probably thrown you in jail as a stalker has today become like, well, I know this person, and, 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 and we're acquaintances, and the reality is you don't know the person. You're just a creepy stalker. You know, I could, I could open up my... My, uh, my, I'm not going to do that right now because it's weird. But I, I would open up and I, you know, scroll through and, and I've got, I don't know, 3,300 friends on, on Facebook. I don't know any of them. I mean, I probably know like, like maybe at best 100 of them. I, I, oh, there's old, um, oh, what's Johnny? Oh, he's eating a, yeah, that's a good meal. Oh, he's, he's getting engaged. I wonder who's getting engaged to. Let me go check out her profile. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's sisters with the person I went to school with. And, like, you go on this trail. And can I just be honest with you? That's weird. I don't do that. Maybe. Don't judge me because I know you do it. We're in good company, y'all. 
and then and you go on this trail and you're like and you have this idea that I know this person. You don't know that person. It is a it is a it is a damning way to view friendships. Listen, I ain't hating on social media. I think a lot of great, incredible things have come out of social media. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we baptized somebody because somebody saw something on social media. So anybody who's hating on social media, that's just, you know, the devil's tool of, you know, madness. Like, calm down. Okay? It ain't that serious. Unless you make it that serious. Unless you make it so serious to where you think you have 3,300 friends and you really have none. Because you have not bought into this idea of biblical friendship. A biblical friendship. A biblical friendship, it is, it's, it's when we want to, it's something that we seek after. It's restrictive. It, it demands from us a vulnerability to where I'm going to find a close-knit group of people and they're going to see the good, and then and they're going to also see the bad. And I'm going to also invite them to call the bad out in me. Now, again, I told you that that's not a concept that's so welcomed here in our culture. Because immediately when somebody calls us out on something, what are we going to do? Well, you, have, you said, have you looked in the mirror because there's a giant plank hanging out of your eye? James's argument here for, is that to those who are entitled, growing contemptuous, growing in contempt towards the Lord, have decided to view their friendship how we view friendships today because this didn't happen, it's contractual, then I'm going to take my toys and move on and become friends with the world. And I'll let them shape me, I'll let their ideas mold me, I'll let them lead me more further away from the Lord and I'll grow more hostile in my heart and more contempt in my heart towards the Lord. And this all began because there was a war that was, that was inside of us, and this internal war that was inside of us. And because we didn't have a heart of gratitude, we had this heart of entitlement and contempt. God didn't move like he did. And so now I'll end my friendship with him and I'll pack my bags and become friends the world. Mo- let me quickly move on because I can, I can go on and on about that. I, and so um, J- James goes on wh- when he's um, this, this crazier uh, response of God to that. It's, it's odd. Uh, look at verse 5. Now, and, and then 5b, when the jealousy over the spirit that he made, that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace he gives more grace if if you uh if, if you believe in tattoos you ought to tattoo that on your arm he gives more grace if you were to, if you're an artist you ought to write that he gives more grace now let me talk about the first aspect of it because we our culture has an issue with with dealing with an idea of a god who is jealous Dealing with an idea of, of a God who is jealous. The, the jealousy of God is an often confused, um, often confused idea and concept that some of us just can't really wrap our minds around. Because when we think of jealousy, we think of it in a different term. 
We think of, well, my neighbor's got that thing that I've been wanting, and, and you know, and so now you just grow like real bitter, and, you know, you become so petty-betty, and, and, and jealousy roots deep in your heart. But then there's another good type of jealousy, isn't there? Like if, if, if my wife goes AWOL and goes crazy and talks to a man, I'm going to be jealous. But I have a right to be jealous because we have made a vow to each other and a promise to one another. And biblically, we are united as one. And so when I see that there seems to be some threat, then I have a rightful, I, I have a right to be jealous over our relationship. Because we are in covenant with one another. She belongs to me. I belong to her. Listen, likewise, that is, how, that is how we are to view the jealousy of God. Not in a sense that, je- that God is jealous about you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> As if like you've made it, like, uh, you've made it in life and God is like, how, how dare he? I can't believe he made it this far. You're like, God is like some crybaby up in the heavens, like bemoaning, like I can't believe they made it this far. He's not jealous about you. He's jealous for you. Why? For his glory. His spirit inside of you, that's what he's saying here, is what is causing this jealousy. Just think about it in that terms of the marriage that I mentioned, of this covenant, that when things are trying to buy our attention, when we are being led by the ways of the world, when we are saying, well, maybe friendship with the world isn't so bad because you belong to him. God is jealous because you belong to him. He's jealous for you, for the spirit inside of you, for the sake of of your joy. He is jealous for the sake of his joy. I'm going to read this quote. I don't agree with everything this guy says, but I, some of the things he does say is, is, is okay. Uh, John Piper says this about the jealousy of God. God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness, of fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame. He forgives her, marries her, gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. You see why God is a jealous God now? In our fickleness, His namesake is at stake. His glory is at stake. He is jealous for you, for His glory. Now, then you have this picture of Grace. That's a crazy sentence, too. So, like, after all of this kind of, like, you know, unsensitive, un, um, you know, seeker-type stuff, James seems to be punching at us pretty hard. Tucked in there is, is an incredibly beautiful, like, 
I'm ready to go pack my bags. I have thrown my fist towards the heaven. I am sick of God not doing what I think he ought to be doing. He's not giving me what I think I deserve. I am tired of him. Now, don't look at me like I'm crazy because I am no, I am not the only person in this room who has had those feelings and emotions. But look what he does. He doesn't like take you as his chosen people. It's just like, oh, see you later, Joker. Talk to me like that one more time. Some of us have this view of God like he is ready to pounce on us every time we make a mistake, every time we're so tired, every time that we are ready to just move on and become friends with the world. But I love this because this gives me and it drives me as a believer. He gives me grace. And it's, and it's like this, it, you know, it's how another text that Paul wrote, it's like this grace upon grace. It's this, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like grace and, and, and enmity with God are in a race, okay? And, and we think because we're not grace, like, right? We're, we're the people who are, who, are, who are the entitled and the contempt people. We are trying to run against this grace, but, but grace has, has finished. He done showered. He done had a meal, had a beer, because that's what you do after you run a race. Apparently, I don't drink beer. And then, and then he is like just waiting there in your dining room, waiting for you. And, but by the time the night has come, you're, you're finally finished. That's how fast grace is. That's how great grace is. That, that when I think that I have outmoved God in my sin, that I have outsinned God, Grace is waiting there with his hand out there shaking my hand. Like, oh, you thought you got me this time, but hello, I'm here. It's, it's like that toddler who's, who's like hovering over you in bed when you're trying to sleep and you feel their presence. You think it may have been a demon or something, but it's your child and you wake up and you're startled. That's grace. You, you think you can outrun it. You think you can outsin it but he gives more grace. I, I love what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Grace is always there. When we think we've outsinned God, regardless of high, high, how high your, how high, how high, it's hard to say, how high your sin volume level is, God's up there, and he's like, oh, you ain't seen my speaker set. You know, he's like, just cranking it up. And so what's happening then is that the noise and the volume of God's grace begins to drown out all of the sin and the shame that you think that you are in. And suddenly, those enemies of the world have been drowned out. Let me, let me, let me help you out real quick if I can. And I'm, I, I'm almost done. You are not that good. You are not that good to out-sin the grace of our God. You you, in fact, you're pathetic at it. And that is remarkable. In fact, it is so life-giving, life-breathing, 
that you in yourself are not the sovereign one over your life. That the sovereign king of the universe, that those times when you have your fist raised and you think, well, I don't deserve this, I deserve this. God is in the heavens and he's drowning you out in your crybaby self with just more grace. More grace. What is, what is the response of this? Uh, really quick. Uh, submit yourself before the Lord. That's verse 7. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Uh, you double my... It, it sounds like, like God's there with grace, but oh, Pastor James is like, you bunch of sinners, cleanse your hands already. And, and you wretched, be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Resist the devil. There is an element to the Christian life to where, yes, we are relying on the Holy Spirit, but as I, as I spoke to uh, our students yesterday, it is a double-sided corn. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit inside of you, causing you to endure life, endure trials, endure temptation, but there is also a call in your life to where you are the one who is also resisting the devil. Resist the devil, because there's an element of the flesh and an element of the spirit. Draw near, that's the other part. How do we, that's, here's the question. How do we submit to this? Resist the devil. And the other thing is that we draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How do we do that? We are immersed in, y'all been listening. We are immersed in the word of God. Honey, if I got a point every Sunday, it's that. All right, some of you are like, well, I can't wait to hear what Matthew's got to say. He's going to tell me something new. No, I'm not. It is I'm going to immerse myself in the Word of God. And as I, as I am immersing myself, I'm not reading it like it's some news article or some tweet or some, some social. I am, I am married to the Word. And I'm letting the Word read me and reveal to me so that my zeal for God is stirred up for Him. And, and then here's another aspect of how can I continue to do this. And it is very simple. It is that I am in community with God's people. How do I draw near to God? Through his word, through this constant war, through this constant like identifying what is not of God and resisting that temptation, resisting the evil one. And then there's this also this element to this to where we grow deeper in our faith that we are to submit to God by submitting to one another. Some of y'all youth that were listening yesterday, you're like, oh, he said this yesterday. Yeah, because I was trying to tie everything together. It, it's back to that whole idea of being friends and this re- recapturing this idea of what it means to do life with each other. Let me tell you something, that, that we are refined at our best when we are in community with each other. And I know that sounds terrifying for some of us, but you want to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord, then I want to encourage you to get serious about community with each other. And, and we're serious about sin in, in just two real fast ways. By Look what he says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, <laughs> you double-minded people. I love this because 
not only are you to be serious about the sin that's, that's kind of visible, cleansing your hands, but you're also serious about the sin that's, that's going on internally. And, and you see how this all plays out, that I, I am going to get serious about my walk with the Lord, that when I am actively uh, resisting the evil things, when I'm actively in community with my brothers and sisters, when I am actively in the word of God, that lets us know you are, we are serious. That's how we are serious about our sin. And then lastly, look what he says. I think that's the third time I've said lastly. I apologize. Be, 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 be wretched and mourn and weep. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, you know, just be wretched. And it sounds like on the, on the surface that he's telling you to self-load. That's not what he's telling you. I, I think that in our culture, there has been kind of like this, this aspect where we are drawn more about, uh, drawn more towards entertainment and lightheartedness. In, in other words, we do not take serious the things of this world. When we see sin, when we see evil happening on the news, we just flip the channel. Oh, hope it works out for them. Now, can I go watch my favorite show? Can you turn it on to something a little bit more lighthearted, please? You, you know why we're like that and we've wired ourselves like that? Because we do not want to take anything seriously. And this is what James is challenging us on. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. The, the Puritans, whom I love to read, and I encourage you to read them. One, one of the things that, in, and I believe it was in one of the, the book of prayers that I have, and, 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 and in the prayer, uh, he would pray for his tears. <laughs> he, would, he would pray that he would have this sense that he would be grieved by his sin. That, that when he sinned, that he would feel the sense of mourning, that I have sinned against the holy God. What a challenge that is for us. And in, 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 in this last word that he says right here, and I'll, 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 I'm done. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Why? Because you have your own internal war inside of you. Right? You have this uh, internal war, this... Uh, this argument within that is, that is all caused by my way is better than God's. And my prayer for us is that we would become people who are more gra- grateful, have a heart of gratitude that all the things that God has given me are because of his common grace. And out of that flows just a life of flourishment and a life of joy. That's what James is getting at here. And you've got, you've got a tell of two battles happening in this room. And it's worldliness versus godliness. And only one is going to win. And you have to determine for yourself in the seat right now, whose side are you going to be on? 